a special gift to the Wayside Mission to provide them with computer equipment uh, for their computer center to teach people uh, who are homeless uh, how to use computers and get caught up with the newest programs and uh, hopefully find a job. Uh, step three, oh, and the other part of the year-end offering is $15,000 toward our new worship director, Jeff Osborne, and his financial support since we've had such a significant shortfall. And so anything beyond the $20,000, uh, we are going to be continuing to give to Jeff as we move into the new year. Uh, the third step is give to the general fund, obviously. The fourth step is pray for our generosity initiative. Next year is going to be a milestone year here at Springbrook. We're going to be renewing and recasting uh, the vision, how God wants to uniquely use our family to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And we have some new initiatives we're going to be introducing, new ministries uh, just a new feel, and we're looking forward uh, to that. Uh, our leaders are uh, thinking and planning and praying, and you'll hear more about that as we move in uh, to the new year. But at this point, we're calling it our generosity initiative, and that will cover Jeff and the worship ministry and some other ministries. And so be praying for that as we think, and uh, again, let God lead us uh, into the new chapter of our ministry. Then finally, uh, pray that we would be a family of faith. During times of economic uncertainty, we default to fear. That's the natural way we operate as people. But we need to step out in faith and realize that God does provide. And that if we step out in faith and give to God and serve God and honor Him, that He is going uh, to bless us. So, if we could have our ushers come forward at this time, we are going to... Give our gifts of love to God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the provider. And I pray that we would become a house of prayer here at Springbrook. I pray that we would always turn to you first, no matter what the issue, whether it be family finances, whether it be personal issues, whether it be doing your work, that we would always come to the power source, always come to the place for wisdom, and insight, and that we would learn to live dependent upon you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's take a look at our program again and some different things that are going on. First of all, I uh, want to highlight our women warm-up, uh, excuse me, winter warm-up retreat for our women. Uh, the theme is party time. Responding to God's Invitations in Your Life. Elizabeth Murphy has been a speaker before for our women retreat. And so uh, you're just going to love it. And it's just a wonderful time for you ladies to cultivate more and more relationships here at Springbrook. The more relationships you have here at Springbrook, the deeper some of those relationships, the more rich your whole experience is going to be and the deeper you're going to grow uh, with Jesus. So... Again, this is a new location, NBC Suites in Deerfield, January 20th through the 22nd. And men, uh, this is a perfect Christmas gift for your wives. So I encourage you to stop by uh, the ministry table, uh, the ministry center, that is, and talk uh, to the women that are there, and they can give you more information about that. The important thing is that this deposit needs to be in by December 31st. So I encourage you to take advantage of that women's retreat. 
Other things that are going on, Jeff Osborne is going to be having a Worship Connect Day on January 14th at 9 a.m. So maybe you have some hidden vocal gifts, some hidden instrumental gift. Uh, we'd like to know about that because we need more people, especially instrumentalists. Uh, we'd love to have you come out to that day. It's just kind of a get-to-know-you time, we'll have breakfast together and talk about the vision of the ministry and then come up and play some songs together. Also, the production. If you're interested in any area of production, they'll be meeting that day as well and talking about what's involved in production. So that's a wonderful time to come out and discover whether that ministry is something you might be interested in. Uh, we're continuing to seek to enhance our worship in order for us to draw closer to God. And we need more people who would be willing to help us. It takes a lot of people to staff a weekend in our production and our uh, vocal and instrumentalist uh, ministry. Uh, so we'd love to have you as a part of that. Imagine the scene in heaven the night before Jesus Christ came to this earth as a baby. The angels are practicing in the shepherd's choir. They've been probably practicing for years. Nobody has a clue what's going on on earth. But heaven is abuzz with anticipation. That God's plan for salvation is about... Uh, Go into full gear, the public revelation of what God has planned for mankind. There's a very interesting passage that gives us possibly some insight into this particular night found in Hebrews chapter 10. This is a dialogue that took place between Jesus the Son and God the Father. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So here you have Jesus Christ. Maybe on the night that he was coming into the world, a body prepared for him. We're not sure, again, about the virgin birth and how that all came about. But he's talking with God the Father. And he's saying, the sacrifices that your people have made over the years have not fully satisfied you. They really only have foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice that I am going to be, that I'm going to earth for. And he says, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, the prophecies. I have come to do your will Oh, God, he was ready to go. He was ready to go on this mysterious mission, which we are going to be talking about this morning. It's all part of our series, The Great Mystery. We've talked about the mysterious announcement, the mysterious conception, the mysterious mission. 
On Christmas Eve, we're going to be talking about the mysterious offer. And I really encourage you to be a part of one of our Christmas Eve services, Friday at 7 p.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. And we also want you to invite someone out. How many have already invited someone out to our Christmas Eve services? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good, but not good enough. <laughs> you know, friends, we are on a mission. And as I've said before, Christmas Eve is a gimme. You can go to anybody and invite them to our Christmas Eve service, and they're not going to get ticked at you, swear at you. They're just going to say, oh, yeah. It's a cultural tradition to go to Christmas Eve services in the United States. So all you have to do is hand them a card and say, hey, would you like to come out to our Christmas Eve service? Oh, I'm going to mom and dad's or I'm whatever, you know. But it lets them know that, hey, I care about you. And, I, and I, you know, church is important to me. Jesus is important to me. So uh, you have those two cards. And I really want to encourage you to step out and give them to somebody. I gave them to my dry cleaner this past week. Just, just give them out. Lay them out. Put them in places where people will find them. In fact, our ushers are going to come forward right now, and they have ten packs. All right? And uh, we want to get rid of all of these cards. So you raise your hand if you want to take a ten pack, and you want to strategically place these cards somewhere. You want to get these cards out. So raise your hand. All right? And uh, we want to... Let people know about what's going on here because the Holy Spirit powers these cards and uh, we want them out there so that people will come uh, to our services. So keep raising your hands because we're just going to wait until we get all these cards out uh, because we want people to know about what God is doing at Springbrook. Then on Christmas Day, we're having a service at 11 a.m., and then on New Year's Day, we're having a service, and that will be at 11 a.m. Now, do we still have cards? Okay, we're still waiting. I'm serious, man. This is important stuff, okay? So raise your hand. There we go. We've got another one. We still got more. We'll still wait. We will still wait. <laughs> Just raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you what, after this message, you're going to want to pick those cards up because you will be so excited about what God has done for you that you're going to break out of these doors and you're going to go running to tell somebody about it. All right. Let's take a look at... The mysterious mission. The mysterious mission. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, there's five things that Jesus Christ did on the cross that are found in this passage, at least. And the first one is that he was a substitute. He was a substitute. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, so in terms of the creative hierarchy, he was just below the angels as a man. Obviously, he was God. But while he was here on earth, he was a man. Now, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death 
for everyone. So that's what he did. He tasted death for everyone. We see this in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. Last week we talked about the fact that we are all born sinners. We inherit a sinful nature from our Father. And so we're spiritually dead coming out of the womb. We're all dead until Jesus Christ moves within our lives. And the wages of sin is death. We get a wage for the work that we do. And we get a wage for the wrong things that we do. We're penalized. And God says the wage for sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Death. Eternity in hell. Paying the penalty for your sin. That's the wage of death. When Adam and Eve were in the world, they were king and queen. Man had domain until they followed Satan's temptation, and they made that choice to establish their own way of doing things. And ever since then, <clears throat> things have gone downhill. Men have continued to be sinful because it's part of our inherent nature. And there's a wage. There's a penalty for that. Somebody has to pay that penalty. So we look again at Romans 6.23, the good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now let's talk about what Jesus Christ did as a substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God's justice system demanded that we pay the penalty for our sin. But God loved us so much that He created another alternative. And so He sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And He was fully God and fully man. And that was imperative in order to fulfill the mission that he was asked to do. He had to be fully man in order to represent us, in order to punish men, in order for a man to be punished on behalf of men. He had to be a man. So he had to be fully man. We talked about that last week. And he also had to be fully God in order to absorb the wrath of God, which we'll talk about here in a moment. So he had to be both God and man in order to fulfill this mission. He needed to live a perfect life. If Jesus had sinned at any point in his life, he would have been disqualified from representing us because then he would have needed the penalty. But of course, he was God, so he did not sin. So therefore, what it says here is that God made Jesus Christ who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason that Jesus Christ became sin, sin was put upon Him, was in order that God might release His righteousness because somebody had 
to suffer. Somebody had to pay the price. And Jesus Christ was this alternative that God had sent on this mysterious mission. That's interesting to think about the cross. And why are we talking about the cross today? It's Christmas. Well, what do we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus Christ coming into the world. Well, that's, that's a wonderful thing, but that's not the reason that we celebrate. We celebrate because he was born to die. That's why we're talking about the cross today. That's why we're so happy at Christmas and so filled with joy is that it represents his mission here on earth. So on the cross, Jesus Christ went through a tremendous amount of physical suffering. You saw the movie The Passion. We talk about it regularly here at Easter. In fact, I think that in teaching and the evangelical world, there's too much of, of a focus on Jesus Christ's physical suffering. I think that obviously that was a critical part of what he did for us. But we don't talk enough about that he bore the sins of the world. The Roman Empire, that was their main form of execution. They executed thousands and thousands of people. And let me tell you this. There are people who suffered more than Jesus Christ through crucifixion. Jeremy, there are people that suffered more physically than Jesus Christ than other people. Or people that suffered more than Jesus Christ. I mean, some people hung on a cross for months before they died. Some people get this idea, oh, crucifixion, that was the worst thing. Hey, it was a common deal. And Jesus Christ was only there for a day. So again, yes, he did suffer. We don't want to say, you know, in any way, uh, say that that wasn't important. But that's the way he died. The important thing was that he died and he bore our sins. So God happened to choose the most common way people were executed in that day. The critical thing that I want you to fully understand and appreciate is that he was on the cross from 9 to 3, and the lights went out at high noon. And the darkness came over the world. And that is at the point that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. In those three hours, Jesus Christ bore our sin. He was our substitute. Now, just think about this past week. Think about how many times you've sinned. Think about how many times you've seen other people sin against you or other people this past week. Think about what you've seen on the news, how many sins you've seen. Think about all the sins that have taken place across this planet in just one week. Now, take that particular week and multiply it by the number of weeks from the first sin that was committed by Adam and Eve to the last sin that will ever be committed. Every heinous sin, every minor sin. Of course, there's no such thing as a minor sin because every sin God abhors. That's what we need to understand is how much God hates sin. If we fully understand that, then we can fully understand what Jesus Christ went through on the cross because He bore that sin. He who knew no sin, that sin was put upon Him. He experienced the penalty for that sin. He experienced the wrath of God 
for that sin. And again, he experienced it emotionally. He experienced it physically. In his psyche, he experienced it. Mentally, he experienced And of course, the crucifixion experience exasperated it. That is the suffering. That's when he paid the penalty. The wrath of God pouring down upon him, unfiltered, pure, driven, intense, pouring down upon the sun for three hours. We cannot even begin to think about the pain that Christ experienced, experiencing the pain of our sin, the penalty that we deserve. Now, you think about the millions of people they are going to spend eternity in hell because they reject Jesus Christ. And you think about the fact that they're going to spend eternity just paying the penalty for their sin, only their sin, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Just their sin. It's going to take eternity to pay that penalty. Now, Jesus Christ was paying the penalty for every person that's ever lived, person living today, person in the future, in a three-hour period. How intense is that? And God was the only one who could have done that. God is the only one who could have absorbed His own wrath. God is the only one who could have taken it, who could have, again, experienced it to the fullest, His own wrath. And I thought about this this past week. I was thinking now, you have the mystery of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And many times we compartmentalize and say, well, Jesus Christ suffered so much. And, oh, yeah, that was tough for God to give up his son. But, you know, we kind of think, well, Jesus Christ had a lot worse. No, no, no. You've got to understand this. It was all God. God is one, the Trinity, right? The mystery of the Trinity. They all suffered together to the same extent. So... The point being is that the only way that God could save us was that God had to sacrifice Himself. That's the only way the justice system could be satisfied. God had to sacrifice Himself. No one else could do it. That's incredible love. The God of the universe sacrificed Himself. He was our substitute. And, friends, we need to remind ourselves that sin is the problem. Sin is what blocks us from God. And that's why it's so important what Jesus Christ did for us. I'll tell you, the, the, the pastor of the largest evangelical church in America doesn't mention the word sin very often. He talks about poor choices. Poor choices? Poor choices? Now, come on! 
They're not poor choices. It's sin. It's rebellion against God. You listen to Dr. Phil. Does he talk about sin? No, he talks about bad judgment. He talks about everybody else, you know, contributing to the problem. And nobody talks about sin anymore. You know why? Because Satan designed it that way because he doesn't want us to talk about sin because sin is the main problem. And Jesus Christ is the only one who took care of the problem. John fourteen six. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'll tell you, you go out there and you look at all the world religions, you look at the cults, and what do they say? They say, you better try better. You better get your life together. You better love people. Maybe you'll come back as a better-looking person. Maybe you'll make it to whatever level of heaven if you just work harder. And Christianity says, you are dead in the water, man. You got nothing. You have to... Put your faith in Jesus Christ because He is your substitute. He is the one who can deal with your sin problem. Wake up. You're a sinner and you need a Savior. That's what Christmas is about. He is our substitute. Amen? Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Amazing. Well, let's move on. Number two, Jesus Christ is not only our substitute, but he was our salvation pioneer. Salvation pioneer. In bringing many sons to glory, that's talking about Jesus. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom... And through whom everything exists. It's a beautiful statement right there. <laughs> the nature of God just thrown in there, you know. Should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus Christ is the author of salvation. The word is archegos. Archegos. It means author. It means trailblazer. It means captain. Founder. It means pioneer. Jesus Christ is our salvation pioneer. He is the one who created salvation. He was the pioneer who paid the price of sin. Uh, over the last 20 years, I've always had some type of audio source on me, on my body. I love to listen to Bible messages. I love to listen to uh, books, audio books. I love to listen to leadership lessons. And if anybody knows me, they've known me over the years. This is what I used to wear. This is a, uh, a Sony. I think it's a Walkman. But uh, I used to have this on my belt pretty much all the time. People would kid me about it and things of that nature. And what I do is I put it on my belt, and then I have a uh, earbud that goes under my shirt, and then I have it pinned. You guys maybe see pins around me sometime. It's just my <laughs> eccentricity. Uh, you know, and so I, I always can just, you know, I can listen to it at any time. So, so I, I, I had cassette. I would, you know, have one cassette in here, and then I'd have like two cassettes in this little uh, pouch here. 
So, you know, I could listen to multiple things as I went uh, on my way. And uh, things were great until around 2000 or something when they came out with a CD player. And those were dark and difficult days for me. Um, I had entered some therapy. Uh, because, you see, you know, you can't wear a CD player on your belt and really move in any way and expect it not to skip. So here I'm listening to this great message, and it skips. And it's going to take me ten minutes to find it. I was so frustrated. I had to stay with cassettes. I said, this is, this is just stupid. I mean, what am I going to do? What is the rest of my life going to be like? You know? And then, and then, oh, man. The iPod. The iPod. I couldn't have dreamed up something better myself. Steve Jobs, my technology pioneer. I mean, this, this just blew me out of the water. I mean, I have like a hundred, you know, hours on here of audiobooks and sermons and all that kind of stuff. And I don't really need it on there, but I just like to have it on there. I'm not a big music guy. I really should listen to more music for the uh, feeding of my soul, and I'm working on that one. But, you know, I, I can just look here, and I can go back and forth between things, and I, I can stop them, and, I, and I'm not going to lose my place, and it, it just is incredible. I get chills just thinking about it, you know. And this is a fifth-generation nano, man. I am so behind the times. I have to go on the Internet and look for a case for it. I could care less because I don't need video. I need audio. I want to learn. Man, do I love my iPod. I just got a new case for it. Uh, I'm excited about that right now. Uh, but, yeah, it's great, isn't it? But you know what the problem is? Is that many times I'm more excited about my iPod than I am the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. I get more turbo power from carrying this around than I do remembering and celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for me. And you know what it's like. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a new dresser set. Maybe it's a... <laughs> I was watching a commercial. These 70, 80 inches. I mean, how big are they going to get, really? You know? Gargantuan! And then they came up with a newer gargantuan for the 80 inch. <laughs> for some of you, that's that's your thing, man. Let's let's fill up the whole house. Let's build a new room just for the TV, right? Yeah, car. I don't know. Whatever it turns out, you know what it is. You're thinking about it right now. Well, you're daydreaming, man. I can't wait to get Christmas time. Oh, time to time to buy myself something. I deserve it, right? Now, why is it that we get more excited about technology and other stuff than we do about our salvation in Jesus Christ? You know why? Because we don't think enough about it. We don't understand what it means. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm telling you how awesome this salvation is. But this is not going to be good enough. If you are really going to just jump for joy. I mean, I tell you, I, I was studying this stuff this week. Man, I was getting amped up. I'm saying, man, this weekend's going to be awesome. Man, I, this is this is what preach. This is oh, 
I could take three months on this passage. This is, this is just so rich. And so I just I was more excited than my iPod at that point. No doubt about it. But you've got to think about it. That's what this whole idea of we're going to meditate as a church and spend time with God. You've got to slow down, get out of this world and all the distractions that Satan has around you. And you need to focus on what you have in Jesus. You need to focus that you have a relationship with God. You're going to heaven. You've got to think and think and meditate and, and make it a part of your very being in order that you might be centered in Jesus Christ and not in this world. I'm losing my place. I'm getting so excited. Man, oh, man. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so we have uh, this story about Arnold Winkle Reed. He was a Swiss patriot and uh, military hero. Back, way back, uh, Swiss was, Switzerland, that is, was a buffer state for other states in Europe. So when other states in Europe wanted to have a war, they would go to Switzerland. Hey, let's not mess up our own turf. We'll go over to Switzerland. <laughs> so they went to Switzerland, and they were really getting tired of this, you know. And so Arnold said, okay, we, we've got to take them down. And what they would do is uh, they would have these uh, phalanx. And so they would fight with these interconnecting shields. And she'd have miles of these guys, these interconnecting shields, and you had the artillery and the men behind them, and and they were impenetrable, it seemed. So Arnold gets these peasants together, and they have pitchforks and shovels and staves, and, and they're going against this mighty military. And he says, we're going to go right in the middle of the phalanx. We're going we're to go right in the middle. We're going to break the phalanx, and we're going to destroy them from the inside. And so that's exactly what they do. So they have this... German army coming from the north, and, and so they decide that they're going to charge. And Arnold's in the front. And so he is running out there, and, and he is just running and running and, and just uh, heading, you know, with no fear in his heart whatsoever uh, in order to break this phalanx. And all of his men are behind him. And, and, and so all these spears and these arrows are, are coming at him. And he's just taking it, and he's just, he just keeps on going, even though he's dying. And finally, he breaks through the phalanx, and he dies right there on the spot, just a few feet beyond breaking through these shields. And now all of a sudden, it opens this, this way for all his men to get in on the inside. And they have this great military victory. And that's why he's a celebrated military hero that you'll see statues if you go over there today. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did for us, right? I mean, he took all the fury that God had in his wrath towards sin, and he absorbed it for us in order that we might live. The third thing that Jesus Christ did for us is that he was our sanctifier. He was our sanctifier. Hebrews 2, 11 through 13. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Sanctifier, the word hogios means make holy, to be made holy, to be made pure. And Jesus Christ is the one who makes us holy. We read in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is, no now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, 
Let's say you're 20 years old when you became a Christ follower. Now, before you made that decision to embrace the grace of Christ and repent and believe and claim uh, God's gift to you of righteousness through Christ, you were spiritually dead. You were a sinner. You were condemned. You were headed toward hell. But then you made the choice. You embraced the gift of God, not because of what you had done, but because you accepted the offer. And at that very point, what happened, you can imagine a huge courtroom, and God is sitting as the judge. And God, of course, has to deal with sin. He is pure in his justice. You can't just say, oh, no big deal, you know, boys will be boys, whatever. No, he says, somebody has to pay the penalty. So Jesus Christ paid the penalty. So you walk in the courtroom when you become a Christ follower and you say, please cancel out my sins based on what Jesus Christ did for me. So uh, God goes over uh, to uh, legal records and he, uh, for me, he pulls out Dan Harrison and he's got all the sins that I've ever committed in my entire life and all the sins that I'll ever commit. And he takes out his big stamp and it says, boom, canceled. Everything's canceled out. And I'm holy. Now, this is, again, this is a rich truth you guys really need to think about and meditate upon. So here I am. The way God sees me right now is that I'm holy. There's no sin that he's holding against me that he's going to uh, punish me for because he's forgiven it all because of Jesus Christ. So he looks at me and I, I'm just holy. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That, that that boosts my self-esteem. I can walk down the street, you know, a little more upright. Uh, just thinking, I'm holy. That's why God sees me. I am holy. I, I've been trying to convince my wife of this. I say, Lori, you've got to see me the way God sees me. You know, holy, without sin. Uh, she still hasn't bought the fact that, well, she, she reminds me there's a practical nature. That's a positional, how God sees me positionally, but practically I'm still a sinner. Now, he's forgiven me for all the sins. That's not a license for sin because, man, when I fully appreciate that God has made me holy, that should just naturally motivate me to want to live a holy life to the power of Christ, right? You don't want to go back, oh, gee, I've got a free license to sin here. I'm going to have a real party this weekend. No, no, no. It's like, wow, God's given this all to me. I want to live for him. Well, yeah, practically I'm a sinner. Positionally, I'm holy. And, and this is another practical application of this. There's some churches that teach you can lose your salvation. That you can be going all, you know, going full bore for God and committed to Him. But if you walk away from God and stop going to church and get involved in a lot of bad stuff, then you lose your salvation. Now, the real question is, did you ever come to Christ? That's another issue. But I believe, man, once you have really made that commitment, and you know that you're a Christ follower, there's no possible way you could lose your salvation. It's like God would call you back into the courtroom and say, you know what? I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about your behavior, and maybe I made a mistake. Does that make any sense whatsoever? No. Once God cancels out your sin because of Jesus Christ, the books are closed and you will never be in that courtroom again. And therefore, there is no way you can lose 
Your salvation, once you have been transformed, once the Holy Spirit has come into your life, He's made you a new person, your debt is canceled out. There's no, I mean, it's, you can't understand. How, how could that ever happen? So you can have confidence in your salvation. You can have confidence. You're still sinning, yeah, and you might really go off the edge, but you're still part of the family of God. And that, that's great news. Uh, we go back to um, verse 12, uh, or just before that. It says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's another great truth, you know. He's our sanctifier. And because of that, we're holy. Don't take this wrong, but I'm as holy as Jesus is holy. Think about that one for a while. I'm his brother. God's our father. Now, again, God, Jesus Christ is fully God, okay? <laughs> no, 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 miss that one. But, but I'm his brother, and I'm as holy as he's holy because I've got no sin on the books. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus is not ashamed of me. Now, for those of you who deal with shame issues, that's one you really need to, you know, memorize and meditate upon and really see yourself as Jesus sees you. Not as other people see you, not how you've taught yourself to see you, but how Jesus truly sees you. Just in shimmering white clothes, no matter all the shunk that's gone on in your life. He's our brother. And honestly, I've been ashamed of Jesus Christ in my life. I've not spoken up for Christ in certain situations because I've been afraid of what other people will think of me. We've all been there, haven't we? But Jesus Christ is never ashamed of us. Hmm. One more. Uh, Jesus Christ is a Satan destroyer. A Satan destroyer. Hebrews 2, 14 through 16. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is a devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So what did Jesus Christ come to do on the cross? He destroyed the power of Satan. He, he destroyed Satan. That was the end game. The crucifixion, crucifixion and the resurrection. The devil doesn't have power over us if we so choose. That's, that's what the devil has over everybody. People don't know it, but they're slaves to sin. And if Satan can just distract them until the time of their death, he has them forever. He has them forever. But that's what Christ came to do, is to break the power of Satan, to destroy Satan. And what does it say? And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Right there. Meditate on that passage. Verse 15, write it down. Hebrews 2.15. 2, that's what happened when you became a Christ follower. And that's what you need to daily experience in your life. You've been freed from the slavery of sin, from the fear of death. People fear death, don't they? They don't know what is in the future. They don't know what lies beyond. They hope they're going to heaven because somebody told them that one day. And they're probably not. They fear death, but we do not have to fear death. Because Jesus Christ has taken the sting out of death. 
1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death. That's what people fear. Because the sting is the penalty. You know, the old story of the bee and it stings the child and the father takes out the stinger. That's what God has done for us. He's taken out the stinger. Yeah, none of us look forward to death. But at the same time, we don't fear death like other people do because we know the moment we have our last breath, we will be in eternity. We will be in eternity. The sting has been taken away. The punishment has been removed through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Satan no longer has power over us if we allow Christ to rule our lives. And friends, that's what we want for our neighbors. Your neighbor. Your friends. That's what we want for everybody. That's what I'm saying. I hope that some of you go and those uh, cards will be on the uh, ministry center. And after we've had time to reflect upon all that God has done for us, I hope that you just, I, hey, I'm just going out there. I'm just going to go to Algonquin Commons, and I'm just going to pass it out to every person I see. I could care less what they think about me because they need to know the unbelievable gift of God's salvation. There's a lot of ways to do it, you know. Lifestyle evangelism, loving a person to the Lord. But sometimes you just get out there and put cards everywhere. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, uh, nurture the seeds in people's lives. We have a service coming up this Christmas Eve. And I'm not going to be this intense, okay? I promise you that. (laughs) You know, I'm going to tone it down a little bit, you know. But uh, they're going to hear the good news of Jesus. All right? So please, please, be bold. This unbelievable message that God has given us, we need to get out to people. First of all, we need to live it out. See, see, here's the key. If you live out the message of Jesus in your life, you can't help telling other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Oh, thank you for Hebrews chapter 2, what we've studied today. Thank you for the truths there. Lord, help us to continue to meditate upon your word. Help. I pray that all of us would take this passage and download this message, uh, just meditate on the passage and just let it sink into us. And, and it just will bring us true Christmas joy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're going to close our Christmas service in a very special way. We're going to take communion together.